Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world. These are exciting days for us here in the program. It's the GGWO International Convention, June 25th, 2010. The theme of this year's convention is Numbering Our Days. We love this time of year. We get to see old friends coming from far and near, missionaries from overseas bringing their families, and they're all gathered together to hear the Word of God, to fellowship with one another. This year we set up a booth, having a great time there uh, with a doing audio recordings that you'll hear over the next few weeks a game for the for the children to play raising money promote radio in the in the midwest of the united states please tune in over these next few weeks you're going to hear some amazing portions from people who are walking in their call and love the word of god and are moving and working in what god has given them and seeing amazing things throughout the world hope you enjoy this classic message We live in a very, very crucial time. We face a tremendous rise in liberalism, humanism, paganism. No turning back as far as college lifestyles. Drug problem is growing. $60 billion business in in limited areas alone. There's no decline in alcoholism. The divorce rate is always going up, even among Christians. So these few years where people have been given an opportunity by God, as he always does before judgment, become a very crucial time because like Israel and Judah of old, we are very fast decaying. Anyone knows as they watch the news and the various networks what I mean. Our time is limited. Our days are numbered. And while we do not approach that subject with negativity, we do approach it realistically on the basis of reality. And Augustine said, whatever you do in your daily life, be realistic about the things that are going on around you. And do not live in false concepts. So this is a very serious time. Isaiah's lips could not praise the Lord. Isaiah's lips could not praise the Lord. Judas, as a nation, their lips could not praise the Lord. Israel, under their new king, could not praise the Lord. Manahem was their king now, and they could not praise the Lord. So this is a very serious time. Isaiah's prosperity for Judah, because of his patriotism and commitment, until the last part of his life, the very last year, had been very noble. Finally, after seeing the angels who gave Isaiah the message that they were unworthy, their face was covered, their feet was covered, didn't mean that they were sinners, because they were not, they were the elect angels. Six-winged, they were very high in rank, and they pictured reverence, they pictured tremendous reverence, tremendous praise. Tremendous meditation, indescribable availability to serve, marvelous obedience, carrying out the king's orders and the judge's command. And they pictured phenomenal unity and appreciation of Trinity. And they recognized the divine protector and the one who was different from all of his creation and his characteristics and his attributes. Then the post of the door moved 
at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. The post of the door was moved, and the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Message, revelations of holiness, in its biblical meaning, will always affect my human foundations. They will always affect my natural security. They will always interfere with my natural state. My habits, my thoughts, my reliances, they'll always affect the domestic. God's holiness will always affect my domestic life. God's holiness will always change my domestic concepts. God's holiness will always convert my thinking. It'll change my reactions to men, to circumstances, into responses to God's grace and to God's nature. The post was moved and the house was filled with smoke. It means that 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 is from the earth, that which comes from the earth, will not be transparently the same after that which from heaven is revealed. Then Isaiah began to cry out. And this is what always happens in a move of God when it's a holy move from heaven. When the king is seen in his rightful place, when the judge is seen with his robes on the throne, woe is me. N-I-D-M-E-Y-T-I. Nidmeta. I have been made to cease. The eye as I have known me is doomed to die. I see the angels praising God, but I cannot praise him. I see that they understand holiness. I do not understand it. I see that the nation of whom I am a prophet cannot praise God, Judah. And then he said, my lips are unclean. My lips are unclean. The tongue that is jealous has unclean lips. The tongue that criticizes those over them in authority in any form, they have unclean lips that make remarks that indict those who God has placed over them in spiritual authority. Those that murmur and complain because God has a program to rebuke the murmuring heart. He will always rebuke the murmurer and he will judge him and chastise him and make him fail. I have learned as I studied the Bible that people that complain, God would bring into failure because they complained about others. And complaining would be one of the, their chastisements. They would complain and then he would bring them into the failure as complainers in their own personal lives. Unclean lips. The person that cannot testify to the world that Jesus Christ is Savior has unclean lips. The person that speaks lustful words toward the opposite sex has unclean lips. The person that confesses unbelief and lives in soul power relationships has unclean lips. And not a thing short of a revelation of God's holiness will change them. And so, he says, I have been made to cease with this vision. Mine eyes have seen the king. Mine eyes have seen the king. 
the Lord of hosts. What does he mean? I want to ask you a question. In your heart, have you had a vision of holiness? The perfect holiness of God. The perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Have you had a vision of God apart from creation? Apart from creation. Have you had a vision of what sin has done to people in hell today, tonight? Have you had a vision of what anything outside of God does to defile, inhibit, and destroy your capacity? Have you had a thought that when you've gone on and innocently, according to your evaluation, have shared things with unclean lips, how much that that kept the cause of Christ a confusing cause? The ministry of grace, a mystery of confusion, and brought in conflict before the angels of God. The unclean lips are the first things that have to be purged. And that comes from having the heart cleansed. From having the heart cleansed. Isaiah knew he had a heart problem. And he knew it. So what happened here is this. The angels gave him a symbolic lesson. Assurance that his sins were forgiven. Assurance. They were flying. And they had a stone in their hand. Really rips. R-I-T-Z-P-A-H. A stone which was part of the burning incense. The presupposition to this principle is that there had been a sacrifice made, as was true, out in the temple court. But this part of the temple is a picture of the altar of incense. And they took one of these stones that was burning with tremendous fire from off the altar, the burning of incense, with all of its pure application to God, and touched the lips of Isaiah. The purifying of the lips can only be executed by God, not by man, not by self-effort, not by any type of attitude toward making resolutions. God could and will purify the prophet's lips. God will do it from taking a stone, and the angel will be flying with the stone and appropriate it to the lips of the prophet. And after he makes his confession, there will be a propitiatory act. Your iniquity has been purged. Your sin is taken away. Lo, this hath touched thy lips. What a beautiful solution to a long-term ministry that had not understood holiness. That had not realized the king in his kingly office. The throne in its governmental doctrine. The judge in his execution of righteousness. Now he begins to understand. Then he heard a voice saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us, the Trinity? But now his heart was cleansed. His lips were clean. He could say something that he ought to say. That he should have said a long time ago. Judah is almost lost her national identity. She will soon lose it despite her pride and she will never rise again. Rome will take over. Assyria will grow in its threatening power against Israel. And all of a sudden, the prophet receives a vision because God wants to give him a message. 
He receives a vision before his message. Matthew 5, 3 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I am talking today about a vision of the heart, an understanding of the Holy Spirit's interpretation of scriptures, the emergency of the call, the value of the message, the reality of the times, an understanding of the atmosphere around us. These are the things that all-inclusive make your call eternally vital. His lips, first thing they said, now that they're purged, the first thing they said, because he's, he's entering into radical change. Augustine said that the greatest mark of a person who's contacted God intimately, the first words they speak will reveal tremendous change. The first words they speak will reveal great change. He said that conversations are revolutionized the first day on when anyone has had a true visitation of grace and a true call from heaven. Their tongue never speaks the same things again, he said. And here's a picture. He heard a voice. He could hear, okay now. He could hear God speak, okay. So many people who have certain sincere standards in their lives and noble desires and virtuous aspects toward God. But you see the constant reoccurrence of their natural temperament coming out. The reoccurrence of their natural temperament coming out. They cannot hear God's voice. I mean inaudibly, but through the impulse of God as he speaks to us through his word, through his spirit. We respond in faith. And this prophet heard God say, Who will go for us? He heard him say it. His whole heart was in a new frame of reference. You often have people that come here in their first year and often isolated times, those that are new to the ministry and then those that have been here for years, very, very rarely, very isolated, who began to get into pride and arrogance. They'll make statements trying to discredit and cut down something the pastor said. And pride fills the room all around them. And they never get away with it around here because too many people are tuned in these days. And even though a person may not verbally react to them, everyone mocks them that they aren't, they aren't really real unless they show humility and repentance. And here's a picture of hearing God's word properly. Who will go for us? Without hesitation, the purged lips will say their first words. Here am I, unconditionally, without equivocation, send me. No questions asked by Isaiah. Here am I, send me. No rationalization. No counting the cost. No counting the cost. No questioning the results of this commitment. Why? No analyzing the possibilities of what would happen by saying that. No consideration on the domestic. At this point in the prophet's life, he lives in total abandonment. Total abandonment. He does not hesitate in his positive response. He does not ask, what price must I pay 
to go to Europe, to go to the third world, to concentrate in studies at the school. But instead, he has seen the king. And I believe when people's hearts see the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, there is no other vision on earth that can take away the perfect will of God. When you've seen the King, it's not materialism. It's not security. There is a way for you to, to balance your own budget. There is a way without any nervous tension, without the cares of this world taking over. God has a way if you respond to His holiness. If you will give your life in total abandonment, if you will submit unconditionally to who He is, to His attributes, to His characteristics, to His holy nature, if you seek Him, and if we follow Him, and we submit to Him with praise, with meditation on His attributes, with a desire to be available in faith rest through grace, if we respond to the throne of God, to the kingdom of God, as it's related to us in the governmental doctrinal principle of the grace of God and the Holy, Holy, Holy Spirit and the Father's plan, if we understand that, we don't have to worry. We'll be realistic. We'll be responsible. But we don't have to let the domestic set aside the eternal in the now life. We don't have to allow the domestic to interfere with the eternal in the now life. We don't have to flee from our call because of the need of the domestic. We need to be put into a place where we say, Today, give me bread to eat, Father. Thank you. Where we see his compassions every morning. That's a person responding by faith through the grace given to him in true holiness. Who will go for us? There are no questions left, dear God. There are no questions left in my mind lingering, tarrying in my soul. I'm alive today. I'm well. I seek nothing but you. You in Psalm 73, 25 and 26. You're my only portion on the earth or in heaven. You are the portion of my life forever. I've settled it because I've seen the king. I've witnessed the throne. I've seen the angels, the elect angels and their activity, their readiness, their reverence, their praise. When a man comes to God and says, here am I, he's saying, all of me is yours the rest of my life. I give you everything about me. I am not attached to my native town. I love and honor my family and will be responsible to them, but I am not attached to them because of Luke 14:26, because of Luke 12:21, because of Matthew 10:34, because of Acts 5:29. I'm not attached to this life. And I'm going to make decisions which will keep me unattached to the domestic unattached to the domestic. I ask God what I will do. I don't receive it from man on earth. I'm unattached. Here am I. Lord, send me. And I don't allow the domestic to take over my emotions, to take over my rationalization 
Because when I do this, the faith that Jesus demanded of Peter, John, and James, when almost as a stranger he came to them in Matthew 4, 17 through 19, and he said, follow me. The man that came to the rich man and said, oh, sell all your, that you have. I'm tired of your attitude toward your riches in the domestic. And follow me. The words that Jesus would say to the man who came to him in Luke 9:57 is, follow me. And the man says, I will, but first I must go home to my family. And Jesus will say, oh, no. You have natural attachments that are ahead of following me. And the man that says, I must go home and bury my father, Jesus reacts negatively. Why? He's not against deep family relationships. Of course not. He's not against our honoring our families. We should love them, pray for them, write them, visit them if possible. Be kind, and caring, and show honor. No, he's not against that then why did he say this? Because Jesus Christ will not allow natural relationships or anything in the domestic to inhibit the eternal purpose. He's for the home. He's for the family. He's for communication. He's for love in these domestic institutions. But this domestic must come under the eternal. That's why the world hates this kind of a preacher. If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and ones like it going out on the Internet and broadcast on local stations throughout the United States. So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your donation at www.graceandpublic.com. This invitation was recorded in Baltimore, Maryland at the GGWO International Convention, June 2010, by Ron Green. Okay. Hi, my name is Ron Green, and I am from Westminster, Maryland. Uh, I'm a member of the Christian Farmers Outreach. Uh, It's a group of farmers who started uh, this outreach 24 years ago, and it's a group that is now in over 50 countries around the world. Uh, God has been extremely good to us. I was saved at 36 years old. I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And I worked for 12 years in the church, wondering what I was supposed to do with the knowledge that I had. Finally, I met somebody from Christian Farmers Outreach, and I was just absolutely thrilled. I've been working with them ever since, and we go around the country, and we all over the country. Uh, we pay for our own travel expenses. Any money that we receive from people goes for supplies. But we do the story of the beads, the story of the colors, as many people know it. Uh, we give out uh, the beads, and we explain how to be saved, how Jesus Christ meant for us to be saved. Uh, we take the gold bead, which we begin with, and we always begin with the gold bead, and we use the gold bead to represent heaven. We use gold for heaven because God's word says the streets of heaven are as paved with gold. So gold, heaven. Heaven is a golden city, and heaven is where I want to go when I leave this earth. I'm sure you'd agree with that. But there's a problem with walking straight into heaven, and it's represented by the dark bead that follows it. And the dark bead represents the natural sin in man's heart. We know also, Heavenly Father, that we have sin in our lives. How do we know? We know because 
God's Word says, All men are sinners, and all men come short of the glory of God. That's again in God's Word, Romans 3.23. If it's from God's Word, then we know it to be true. Now, that's a scary verse, because that verse tells me that I am a sinner. It tells me I was born a sinner, I live as a sinner, and on the day that I die, I will still be a sinner. It's a scary verse because I'm a man who wants to go to heaven, and I don't believe that God is going to allow sin into his perfect heaven. So, I have a serious problem. I need a serious solution to this problem. The good news is our Heavenly Father has supplied one. Almost 2,000 years ago, God, our God, sent his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to this earth. He sent him here to pay a sin debt that we could never pay. He sent him here to die a death on the cross at Calvary. He sent him here to shed his blood. Our next bead in line is a red bead, and it stands for the shed blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus did exactly what he was supposed to do, and more importantly, Jesus did exactly what he wanted to do. Jesus wanted to come and redeem mankind from the fall. That Jesus did exactly what he was supposed to do and wanted to do is a wonderful thing, but there is a part that we play in this also, and that is represented by the following bead, which is the white bead. The white bead represents our hearts when we believe on what Jesus Christ did. Not just in who Jesus Christ is, but on what Jesus Christ did. When we know that the only thing powerful enough to get us into heaven, the only thing powerful enough to get us into heaven, is the death of Christ on the cross. The only thing powerful enough to wash away the sins of mankind is that shed blood. When we know that in our hearts and we tell God that we want Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior, we depend on him to get us there. God sends into every single believer, every believer that says this and professes this, his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into our heart, washing us as white as snow, taking away our sin from God's eyes and guaranteeing us a place with him. Now we have a question for you, and it's a very important question. If something were to happen to you this very day, this very moment, and you were to die, are you 100% certain you would wake up in heaven? Do you know you can be? Again, we're going to go to God's Word, and everything I've shared with you has been from God's Word. And we're going to take Romans 10:13, and we're going to examine that verse just a little bit. It's a guarantee from God. Now, this God that we're speaking of is a God that can't lie. And this guarantee from this God is such, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Now, when you see that word, whosoever, in the Bible, that's intentional. God put that there so that you can take that word out. And you can put your name in. And God's word says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He doesn't say you could be saved. He doesn't say, well, maybe you'll be saved. God says you shall be saved. A promise from a God that cannot lie. This is, this is just too wonderful. It's too perfect. It's too hard for man to accept because it is too perfect. But this is God we're talking about. And he's given us this assurance. He's given us this guarantee. We have so much to be thankful for. But all we need to do is believe on what Jesus Christ did and tell God that we want Jesus Christ to be the Lord of our lives. If you've never done this, there's a little prayer that you can pray. 20-second prayer, 25-second prayer, probably the most important 20, 25 seconds of your entire life. But there is a prayer that you can pray, and you can ask Jesus Christ to become your Lord, even right this very moment. At this time, I'm going to lead you in that prayer. If you've never prayed that prayer before and you do believe on what Jesus did, pray with me. Pray right behind me. And just go ahead and speak right out loud, because we're talking to God. And the prayer is like this. Almighty God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross at Calvary for me. 
And I ask you right now, Father, in the best way I know how, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins, I mean, and save me, Lord Jesus. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen. And that is the simple prayer. As long as you believe on what Christ did, the prayer really has very little to do with it. The prayer is just you telling God that you want Jesus Christ to be your Savior. What really is important is that you believe on what Christ did. The last of the five beads, the last bead of the five, is a green bead. And that green bead stands for growth. Once we're saved, and if you believe on what Jesus Christ did and you prayed that prayer, you are saved. But once we're saved, God wants us to grow. He wants us to go to a good Bible-preaching church, and he wants us to learn everything we can about Jesus Christ, this side of heaven. It also stands for a new life. And, folks, for this believer, for the saved person, there is a new life. And that new life was given to us as an example by Jesus. Jesus was born on this earth of a virgin, as we know. He died on the cross at Calvary. They took him down and they buried him in a tomb. But on the third day, he rose again. And Jesus Christ lives today. And he lives at the right hand of the Father. And there, he intercedes for all of his children. If you prayed this prayer today and you believe on Jesus Christ, you are indeed one of his children. We'd love to hear from you, so please go to our website and contact us. The web address is www.graceinpublic.com. The Christian Farmers Outreach is being spread all across the country, and we would pray that you would get in touch with us any way that you can. Thank you very much, and may God bless you all.